about this new Venom movie, I mean picture a video game like Spider-Man for the PlayStation 4 only Spider-Man isn't in the game. See, it's stupid. You're listening to Entertainment Landfill. Film, television, pop culture. It's where you find it. exciting episode of the entertainment landfill news i almost said the chuck series companion steven <laughs> uh i had the sound way too low sorry about that i figured it out during the intro but uh steven you're here i and- made it yay Woo-hoo! and we're ready to talk about film television pop culture and that kind of stuff welcome everyone who's listening thank you so much for listening to the show let's get this party started No, seriously, uh, thank you for being here, Stephen. Where were you this week? What state were you in? Denver. Denver? Awesome. How's Denver? Mile High City, sir. Ah, can you breathe there? You know, they say it's hard to breathe there. I'm getting used to it. I'm acclimating. Do you ever like... (gasps) Yes. The first... First month I was there, walking around, is just like, it's like, holy shit. Because <sighs> they always say when sporting teams are there, hockey players, football players, like they need oxygen and stuff yeah. because it's hard to adjust. I then told you I went to see a concert last year there, uh, Natalie Merchant, and uh, I think she has some sort of a like asthma or something. Mm. And like all all throughout the show, she has this, the little bottle of oxygen. They sell them there at the grocery stores for people. You know, oh, where yeah. you just go, yeah. Oh, cool. So you can just get a little breathe, like, oh god. Okay, I guess I can catch my breath. It's like, why do I live so high <laughs> up in the air? <laughs> Not traveling here. So when you come home, you're like, ah, better. I can breathe a little bit easier. Yeah, nice. It's crazy. It's weird. Now I'm kind of used to it both ways, so it doesn't one way or the other. I can 
every once in a while, if I have to do a whole lot of uh, climbing stairs or something like, told you last week I went to Red Rocks and mm-hmm. uh, climbing Red Rocks is just a killer. Oh, I bet. Uh, and uh, were you climbing the rocks? No, the, to go to the to the venue to the music oh, venue. just to get there. Yes. Oh, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, it's it's uphill all the way. Isn't that where uh, Kenny Loggins did the poo corner thing? At Red Rocks? Did the what? Pooh Corner. You know, Christopher Robin. Oh. Do you know what I'm talking about? When we worked at MJ Designs, they used to play the Christopher yeah, Robin yeah, yeah, song yeah. all the time. Yeah. Count all the birds in the sky. Why do I remember this? But uh, whenever I hear... Glad you remember it, not me. Whenever I hear a song like that used to play on the radio uh-huh. at MJ Designs, I'm like... <laughs> Like time travel. I'm like, ah, turn it off. Recently, I had to go get some glue sticks. Uh, and I was like, I'll go to Michael's, which is the competitor of MJ Designs, but it won the craft war, I guess, because Michael's is still around. And when I walk in there and they're playing the bad music and I smell the potpourri and I see uh-huh. all the stuff, I'm like, get me out of here. I want out of here. Start getting vertigo. and Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> oh, no, no. Because it's exactly, it smells the same way. Yeah, and yeah. Um, when we worked at that place, in its heyday, the craft store of MJ Designs, not Michael's, but everyone confused him anyway. Uh, there were like, what, eight framers, like, yeah. I don't know, 10 cashiers, people in t-shirt department, people in floral department, just like, I don't know, 50 employees or something. Probably. Maybe yeah. 100. During Christmas time, 100, they would add action. There was like a huge staff at a craft store. Right. If you go into a Michael's now, there's like three cashiers and nobody in the rest of the store. One framer in the back. One manager who acts as the framer. (laughs) Like, someone needs help in framing. You see the manager comes out of the office and goes back there. Like, they run those stores with no employees. How do they do it now? Yeah, I've been in them. And, yeah, I've seen, like, max five or six employees. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like one back in the art department to make sure nobody's stealing. Because it's kind of it, scattered throughout. I want to know they can't possibly do the same volume that they did back in the nineties, right? Because how did they run those stores with that many employees, and how can they run them now with so few people? I don't know if they still like do the same type of like the the frame sales when we would match them and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we were taking. You know, a hundred orders a day. I, by the way, for the stupid glue sticks I needed to get for Heather, I waited in line for like behind twenty people. There's like not enough cashiers, and I was just like texting her, "I'm getting ready to just walk out of here." You know, fine, I'll stick it here. Do they them. sell these at Walmart? I can get them much faster. And they're like, "Do you have a special Michael's? Uh, you know." You know, gift. What do they call it? Like the cards where you get a discount or something. Yeah, yeah. The membership. membership Oh, do you have a Michael's membership card? And I'm like, no, I'm never coming back in this store. (laughs) Just ring up my shit. No, I didn't talk like that. I was very nice, but uh, mentally, I was like, get me out of here. I want out. Get me out of here. I don't like craft stores. (laughs) I spent enough time in them. Yeah. How, How long were you in there? In 12 years? Oh, you mean at MG Designs? Yeah. yeah. Uh, a little over 13 years okay. before they went out of business. A long time. 
You know what's funny is after we were talking about, like, yeah, we've been podcasting for 12 years. Afterwards, I, I told Heather, I go, we've been doing this 12 years, right? And she goes, 13. What? How could you get it wrong? And I was like, crap. So we've actually been doing this 13 years. So I've been doing this podcast as long as I worked at MG Designs, <laughs> for Christ's sakes. Framing pictures, Stephen. Did you know sometimes I still have dreams where I'm like, can I take your order? Or, you know, I'm just like measuring. I've had that nightmare. I won't want to call it a dream. Have you measured pictures and stuff? Like, I can't read this ruler. How, how do I do this? And <clears throat> I'll be uh, helping people on the counter. And when I wake up, I'm like, oh, thank God. I always think of that part in Top Secret where Val Kilmer's being tortured. And he starts hallucinating. And he goes, oh, my God, I'm back in high school. And he's walking around. And they go, the guy goes, where have you been? All the exams are over. You're going to have to retake everything. And he goes, no. And then he wakes up and he's being whipped. And he goes, oh, thank God. <laughs> he's like, thank God. I'm I'm still, I'm in the future. I'm like, I'm not back in high school. I'm being tortured by Nazis. But still, it's better than high school. I love that. Because I would feel the same way about uh, MG Designs. Oh, thank God. I'm not back there. Being tortured by Nazis. <laughs> That's so funny. But, Stephen, it is a new fall. That means new TV shows. So I thought it would be fun to go over the newest TV shows that are coming on primetime television. And I just want you to give me a simple in or out. Okay. Like, I'm just going to read you the show and you tell me in a or synopsis out. Of yes. It. And I'll tell you what I think or if I'm going to do that. First of all... Uh, some shows have already premiered. That's okay. You may not have gotten a chance to see, for instance, Magnum P.I. on CBS. The new Magnum P.I. Jay Hernandez takes over as the investigator with keeping Hawaii safe in this version of the Tom Selleck classic. Sadly, no mustache is involved this time. Out. <laughs> Out. <laughs> Heather and I watched this. I got to say this. Were you a fan of the original Magnum P.I.? I, I caught it. I was. I can't say I was a fan or what. I knew of it. Yeah. And that's... maybe like watched it as it was on kind of like, I don't remember paying attention to it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I know Higgins and the Dobermans and the Ferrari, but other than that, you know, Tom Selleck. But I watched this and of course, you know, uh, this Thomas Magnum, he's... Uh, he Thomas was a, Magnum Jr. He's an ex-Navy SEAL. He was in Afghanistan. That's why all these guys are like, I was a sniper in Afghanistan, you know, something <laughs> like that. He's got his two buddies, Rick and TC, right? They were both in the war with him. Uh, they're, they both got his back. It takes place in the beautiful locale of Hawaii, the Hawaii backdrop, which is great. Um, Over by Lion's Head? Uh, sure. Sure. That's where they shot the original. Oh, I'm sure it's in the same place. This time Higgins is a beautiful woman who worked for MI6 instead nice. of... You know the guy who played the original Higgins? Uh, do you Can you picture him in your head? Yes. When, mm -hmm. I was like, that was a British guy, right? I was looking at IMDb. He was from Texas. Uh, he was in some place called Denison, Texas. Yeah, Denison. I thought he was like... That's not too far from here. I thought he was an English chappy. No. That's crazy. But uh, anyway, Magnum P.I., Stephen passes. Okay. <laughs> Manifest, NBC. Y'all, what if we made Lost, but like without the plane crash and the pilot? Yeah, this show is about a bunch of travelers who disembark to learn that the turbulence they felt mid-flight 
impacted the space-time continuum. Now, Stephen, you travel all the time. At I'm in for that. I would like to see this one. I Has don't... this ever happened to you? Yes. Turbulence? Yes. And what? I have gone into the future. Have you ever left in one time and arrived in another? Yes. It happens all the time when you change time zones. <laughs> okay. I watched the pilot to this. I just happened today. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. I watched the pilot to this, and here's something that's interesting. Uh when I first saw the promise for this, I was like, are you kidding me? Another people aboard a flight, something happens to them. How many times are they going to do this as a TV show? Obviously lost is a major influence and they did it. In another show. The Langoliers with Stephen King. Right, right. There was another show on NBC. NBC did this show before, but the flight, the plane disappeared and then returned. Uh, so on this show, uh, they have turbulence and, well, the beginning of the show, it's like a big family vacation. And they're like, uh, we're, the flight is full. If anybody could wait for the next flight, we'll pay $400. And one guy's like, it's a brother and sister. He's got a family. She's got a family. And he's like, you know what? We could use the money. I'm going to stay. And his wife's like, no, don't. And he goes, $400? That'll be great for our son's medical bills who's dying of cancer. You know, that's what oh, they established. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's like, goes a long way he's like, cancer treatment. Yeah. Say, champ, do you uh, want to stay with dad? He goes, yeah, dad, I'll stay. So they're staying put for the next fight. And his sister decides to stay, too. She's got a fiance that she's kind of afraid to say yes or no. She's undecided. So the rest of the family goes. They get home. They go to the next fight. They have hit turbulence. When they arrive, they've been missing for five years. And they're like, what? No, we haven't. We just flew from wherever we were to Cincinnati here. to yeah, LA or to LA. And they're like, no, you guys have been missing for five years. The, the little boy who has cancer, his twin sister walks up and she's like in high school and he's like a little kid and he like freaks out. Uh, it, the cancer that they was inoperable when he was a kid is now advances in science and stuff. He can be, <laughs> So I I thought that was interesting, but what I didn't understand is this. They keep having news reports about these two girls missing on TV and people are out searching for them. Well, the one woman who is the sister, she hears a voice saying, set them free. And she's like, what, what, what I hear? Set them free. And she looks over and she sees these two dogs behind a fence and they're like, and she's like, oh my God. She goes home and gets bolt cutters, comes back. And all of a sudden, her brother drives up. And she's like, what are you doing here? And he goes, I came to set them free. And she's like, what? He's he's like, I hear voices in my head. I'm This is paraphrasing. I'm making it much worse than it is. Uh, and she's <laughs> like... She's like, what? what's going on? Why, are, why is this happening? Because I don't know. So they use the bolt cutters. The two dogs just look at him, and then they run away. And they're like... He's like, well, into, we're done with that. Then they turn into the two missing girls. <laughs> no. Oh. So the lady is a, an ex-cop. Her fiance has now married her best friend. And there's a part where it's, I think it's funny. It's been five years and he's like, uh, wow, you still look so young. And I was like, I know what this guy's thinking. He's like, could ditch my wife who I was in love with her originally. And she's plus, she looks five years younger now the, age to date. yeah he's like damn or so i was telling heather and i go shouldn't he go back to his original fiance he's getting a really good deal here right <laughs> get a good deal <laughs> and heather's just like scumbag and i'm like yeah i know oh uh, so uh 
the they find the dogs and the, her her fiance he's a cop still and he's like what were you thinking you're on video freeing these dogs stealing them essentially we need to go talk to the owner and make sure he doesn't do anything and press charges if you want to get your job back as a cop she's like okay so they go back there with the dogs and all of a sudden she hears she feels like pain in her head it says set them free and she's like oh i can't oh and he's like oh you just stay here i'll go return the dogs <laughs> so he goes and the guy's like I don't want to cause any problems. I won't press charges. Thanks for giving my dogs back. And she's just keeps hearing set them free. So she walks in there and the dogs are by this like container with a, a lock on it. And they're going, so she starts smashing the lock and the guy goes, what the hell are you doing? Get away from my stuff. And she opens the door and the two little girls are in there. And the guy's like, you're under arrest. <laughs> and so it turns out that she has some kind of weird, Psychic. Power psychic so. power and so does her brother who is hearing the same thing she is so at the very end she's compelled to return to the plane and all of the other people that are on the plane come back and they're all looking at each other like what are we doing here kind of like close encounters then the <laughs> the plane just blows up and they're all like what so uh so are they afraid they're gonna blow up because they're gonna time's gonna catch up <laughs> no it's like oh. it's covering up the evidence but I was thinking manifest, like flight manifest, but also it means manifest abilities, huh? Are we talking new heroes? Mutants? Eee. Old All right. beauties? All right, Steven, do you watch uh, Young Sheldon, by the way? Uh, no. Hmm? I've seen it and I've caught it, but I don't watch it regular. Um, The Resident on Fox, that's a, a doctor show. I watch that. It's pretty cheesy. Heather and I laugh at how bad the music, they do songs. You know, whenever like some pop song kicks in. And by the way, how many times on shows, I was telling Heather, like almost every pilot we've seen is a new show. And this happens all the time in TV, movies, where two people furiously start making out. They're knocking shit over. They're bumping into walls. You know, they're yeah. falling over the couch. Or, um, um, you know, you're tearing off each other's clothes. And I'm like... It happens to me all the time. Uh, yeah, I'm like, this isn't practical. You're, you've oh, got to clean yeah. up so much afterwards. Your clothes are all dirty. I mean, come on. Can you people settle down? It, does it ever happen in real life, Steven? No, it doesn't. And, but it happens in every TV show pilot. Okay. Uh, or you go to a desk and just slam everything off of it. To <laughs> yeah. Okay. In or out, Stephen. FBI on CBS, produced by Dick Wolf. And the winner for the new show with the most obvious name is FBI. That's what they say. It stars Missy Peregrine, and they're the FBI, and they, you know, they it's have new procedural procedural like, with new cases every week. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I got to say this much. In or out, Stephen. Eh, not not in, not out. It'd be just completely. Yeah, I don't have. A gotta hear more. Way. I don't dislike it. I mean, it's a procedural, which is going to be the same. You know, Jeremy Sisto's in it too. Yeah, the same thing week after week. I watched the first episode. My problem with it is the characters were not interesting to me. Everybody's just going through. Okay, what do we got here? Oh, That's we got a dead body here. By the way, the the show begins with a bomb going off in a city building with families in it. And we know a little boy dies and uh, his brother is like the mom. She's like, where is he? She, he's like, he might be okay. He, he went to the, he went to the apartment and all of a sudden the place 
when second bomb goes off, just in case the little boy survived. Now he's definitely dead. Then within three minutes, they go to visit like a a uh, lead they have. Another bomb goes off. I'm like, are you kidding me with this? Like city block and all these people dead. I was like, how many people have just died in the span of five minutes in this show? It's depressing. So it has to do with white supremacists and shit like that. And by the time it was over, I was like, I'm good. Out. I don't need to watch the show. Um, okay, let me find a new show. New Amsterdam on NBC. Don't let the title fool you. This isn't a period drama. It's a medical show based on New York's Bellevue, the country's oldest public hospital. So this is a uh, uh, place is run by a guy who's like, it's not about insurance and money. It's about helping oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the patients. It's the guy from the blacklist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I watched the pilot. I enjoyed it. It's got some of the kind of schmaltzy kind of cheese in it, you know, about, you know. Yeah, I saw the little trailer bit of it where he's like, okay, who, you know, who's in this for the money, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, okay, you're all fired. Yeah, and they're like, what? Come on, you know. And then the one dude, it's like he's looking over his record and it's like. He's like, you have you the. You got the lowest record of money to patient. Th- yeah, and he's like, why did you, uh, why haven't you been doing procedures? And he goes, because they don't need them. You know, that's not, there's nothing wrong with them. And he's like, I like you, you know. Yeah, you're the new head of the heart department. So you're it's. You're hired. So what do you mean there isn't a heart department? There is now because you're creating a buddy. <laughs> I I liked the pilot. It's the kind of show I could watch every week with Heather. Uh, it's these hospital shows. I watch three of them now. Chicago Med, uh, The Resident, and now this show. I'm like, God, there's so many medical shows we're watching. And you know, there's been enough time in hospital. <laughs> you don't want to no watch it on TV. Um I'm in. I'm in on New Amsterdam. I like it. Yeah. I like the way it looked on there. Uh, you know, again, it kind of had the house feel or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's got the know-it-all, the... the, the somebody who cares kind of thing. The heart of gold doctor. Yeah, yeah. Gold. Okay, the next... This, I just watched this last night. A Million Little Things on ABC. This Is Us meets The Big Chill. Ron Livingston, Romani Malco, James Roday, Grace Park... Stephanie Skozak, Christina Moses, David, somebody can't pronounce the name, stars a group of friends coping with the surprising loss of one of their own. Okay. So Ron Livingston makes an appearance. Ron, Ron Livingston makes an appearance. He uh, kills himself within the first few minutes of the show. It's no spoiler. But here's the thing. I thought... Uh, gets a job and he's he's best friends uh and his three best friends and their wives nobody knows why he did it he was like the greatest guy ever they all had these stories about how he brought them together how he helped them out why was this totally happy guy why would he kill himself and the show is actually kind of a mystery but they're right about it being kind of this is us kind of like uh parts where you know they're hugging and crying but they're and it's like really sweet moments and james roday's uh i like his character probably the best you know he's sean from psych uh he's sitting in on a woman's group focus group or what i don't know what you call it uh they all are women who had breast cancer and he's sitting in a circle and the new lady's there she introduces herself and he's kind of like making little side comments and she goes excuse me why is he here and he goes because 1% of men can get breast cancer, and that's me. 
And she goes, oh, I'm so sorry. And he goes, yeah, that's right. He makes you feel totally bad. But he, he actually had breast cancer himself. Uh, and then she ends up liking him. And then they show a furious making out scene like they're nice. in the bathroom, like falling all over, knocking into shit, you know, stuff going everywhere. Uh, and then they end up going out on a date. And uh, here's the weird thing. Romani Malco, uh, he's killing himself at the beginning He's got a bunch of pills. He's writing a letter and he takes it and he swallows and he gets a phone. His phone is ringing. His phone is ringing. And finally, he just answers it. He's like, whoa, <laughs> he's got a mouthful of pills. And he goes, you'll never guess what happened. Ron Livingston just killed himself. And he goes, what? <laughs> and he was just killing himself. It was very, it's very interesting. I, I honestly don't know if the show will last long. Sometimes when you watch a show and you're like, it's interesting. This is going to get canceled kind of a thing. I have no idea how long it's going to last, but uh, I will at least watch the next episode. All right. Here's another show. Single parents on ABC. This is a sitcom and another obviously titled series. Saturday Night Live's Taryn Killam stars as a single dad looking for a new peer group at his daughter's school uh we recorded this haven't watched it yet uh is there a room for this sitcom steven on your plate what do you think out in or out 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 and z do you watch the good place by the way i did the first most of the first season second season is really good this new season just started last night uh you should catch up i think i caught sporadic bits of the second season all right here's something that's interesting Murphy Brown returns. Any interest, Stephen? Did you watch the original Murphy Brown I back did in the day? Watched some of it. Corky Roberts. I, and... I, my best, best part was when Kramer was the intern. Oh wait, that was <laughs> a Seinfeld. <laughs> no, I remember that because she always had a different secretary, Murphy Brown. Yeah, I remember that. She always had a new one. So um, I did watch out... it back in the day. Not not a every week had to watch it but if it was on and uh, you know i watched it occasionally uh am i in this time not really out yeah heather was like did we record murphy brown i was like no and she's like oh i wanted to watch it i'm like "Eh." i was watching tv last night it came on and i deliberately changed it (laughs) no i'm good i'm out the Cool Kids on Fox. Always Sunny's Charlie Day created this new comedy, which stars Vicki Lawrence, David Allen Greer, Leslie Jordan, and Martin Mull as septuagenarians who are very much enjoying retirement. Did I say that right? Mm-hmm. So what do you think? I, I dig that. Come that on. Sounds, that sounds all right. Big Mama's Family fan, Vicki Lawrence. <laughs> Vicki Lawrence. The Cool Kids. I think we recorded this. This came on tonight. Oh, did it? Okay. I think so. Uh, last stand, last man standing with Tim Allen. Right wingers may have lost Roseanne, but they got back Tim Allen. <laughs> uh, I've never seen that. Not interested, but that's funny. Hell's I, Kitchen returns, Stephen. Yay! In or out? How long has it been since you watched Hell's Kitchen? A couple seasons. Yeah, I haven't watched I, it in years. I think years I've watched a, an episode here and there. If it's but sometimes when it's on, I turn it over there. I'm like, it's the same. It's still the same. They haven't changed yeah. anything. The sound effects, the cicadas, the music, it's all the same. Yep. They just repeat it over and over again. 
All right. They need to do a, a like a, a different type of Hell's Kitchen and have like all all the could the cooks from the past and have open their own kitchen and run it. Something like that. He needs to change it up. Okay. On CBS, God friended me. The mayor's Brandon Michael Hall finds a new calling in this feel good drama where God friends him on social media. Yep. What do you think, Steven? In or out? Uh, out? Come on, Steven. <laughs> this is going to be feel good. Yeah, you're right. This is something I'll watch with Heather's mom. You know, like I'm yeah. at, over at their house. I'm like, God friended me. Okay, let's watch this, you know. Yeah, I've seen that before with George Burns. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Little John Denver. And- There's got to be more shows than this. All of a sudden, my list ended. What the hell? Fall TV's pr- complete guide to season premieres. Is that it? Well, it's we spent enough time on this anyway. But uh, are there any shows you're especially excited for? Are you ready for The Flash to come back? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I enjoyed oh, yeah, The Flash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the- I always say, I say this every season, the new season of Arrow, uh, Green Arrow, Oliver Queen, he's in prison, which I always say is death for every show. Whenever they have a prison storyline, we're a main character in prison. Like, how long is this going to last? How many episodes is this? Barry Allen was in prison. Yeah, Barry Allen. Yes, they did it on uh, The Flash 2, which wasn't very interesting, was it? The funniest thing is when he... He remember he Goldberg was like this kind card yeah. of gold convict, and he frees him by running him to China real yeah. quick, <laughs> and he just leaves him there, and he goes. Uh, those shows, I love the Flash, but man, it starts to drag in the middle of seasons at times where I let them stack up like five episodes, and always later in the season I have to like. Uh, you know, they'll do the mid-season finale where it's gone for a while. I'm like, all right, let me catch up with this crap, you know. And I always finish The Flash. Never finished Arrow ever. Didn't even watch the finale last season. I liked season. the very first season of Arrow. After mm-hmm. that, it kind of was like... It's just so it long, changed. like 22, 24 episodes. It goes on forever. And Arrow's writing is so bad. I mean, it really is. Just these long conversations where they're standing there talking. I'm just like getting it like my eyes are starting to oh, wait what's going on you know and what's funny about arrow is they're always yelling at each other like they're a team like oliver and john diggle they're always like you know what were you thinking and he's like what do you mean i'm the cap you know i'm the you know guy who runs the show and he goes oh yo you weren't saying that last week when i busted your ass out of prison and they're like grabbing each other. It's like you guys are friends. Stop it. And they're like, oh yeah. Well, what about you? And it's like, what? You're ganging up on me now. You know, it's just like, guys, Jesus. <laughs> Everyone's always fighting on this show. That's what Arrow is. They're always pissed off at each other. Let's. We need to watch Arrow when it starts. Uh, text me the first argument any of the main characters have. It's like, oh, they're doing it. They're already arguing. It's like you people can't get along. And the villain sucked last year. Uh, it was. Um, it was Henry from Lost. Uh, I forget the actor's name. He was also a person of interest, but he was like yeah, yeah, yeah. this nerdy, you killed my son, Greed Arrow, and now I'm going to kill everyone in this town. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. Just kill him. Why are you going to kill everybody in the city? What a jerk. 
how's this uh, even out? You know, <laughs> I like Persons of Interest with him though. Oh, Person of Interest is a great show. Unfortunately, I lost track of that show, but I did think it was great. Yeah. I lost way track of it, yeah. The people who did Person of Interest went on to do Westworld on HBO, believe it or not. No, I do. Uh, um, uh, the one with uh, James Spader should be coming back, too. Oh, The Blacklist. The Blacklist. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, I always made fun of Liz on The Blacklist, because yeah. uh, my favorite moment ever on The Blacklist was when she's interviewing. <laughs> she's in the, the, the room where... I you just went blank. I was trying to think of what you call yeah, it. Yeah. The interrogation room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy's got scars all over his body from a fire. You know, he's just, he's like this assassin guy, but he's been, he, he, he's a pyro. He sets fire to things. That's how he kills people. You know? So he's sitting there. He's got burns all over his neck. You see his bald head. He doesn't have any hair. And she goes, so you were in a fire. And I went, What? What? Did you hear what she said, Heather? And she goes, what? And I go, and I rewound it. So, you were in a fire. And I was like, freaking duh! Really? That's what she opens with? You were in a fire? I was just like, uh, no. Why do you Why do you say that? I find this rather insulting. This is the way I was born. <laughs> you know, it's just, oh my God. So, uh, anyway, Stephen, let's get on to some news stories. First of all, Veronica Mars is returning. Did you ever watch Veronica Mars with Kristen Bell? No. After three seasons? You didn't? (laughs) Well, Heather and I watched it on the CW, right? And then it got canceled in season three. It was like a shortened season three, and it just, it sucked the way they... And then remember, years later, they did the the Ronnie Kickstarter, Marjorie. and Heather and I actually donated money. I, at the time, it was like a lot of money, $275. It's like, we're paying for this. And uh, we really loved it. The movie came out. It was good. And so now... You got some Veronica Moore swag. Oh, yeah. We got all the DVDs, which we sold to Half Price Books recently. <laughs> I told Heather, I was like, they're not going to buy these. They're not even in the original cases. They're in these weird plastic coffin cases. It was kind of weird the way they sent them to us. You know how a lot of uh, box sets, they have the neat little things. It was like in a little you know, stick thing with all the discs just stacked on top of each other, right, sitting right. in this little coffin thing. But they took them. We don't care. We'll yep. give you 10 cents for this. So after three seasons, a crowdfunded feature film and two novels, Veronica Mars is returning to Neptune for a limited series on Hulu. Why can't Chuck have some novels for me to read? Chuck books. Write them. Uh, yeah, I should. The neo-noir, the neo-noir series starring Kristen Bell became a fan favorite during its initial run on UPN and then the CW. That's right. It turned into the CW. Before helping to usher in the revival and reboot trend way back in 2013 when Bell and creator Rob Thomas launched a Kickstarter. I've already told you guys about this to fund a follow up movie. It only makes sense then that the series would want to get in on the revival action again before the wave eventually ends. Of course, the times have changed quite a bit in the five years since fans have ponied up the cash for the chance to return to Neptune. That's the town she lives in. Now, every show that might have once made someone feel something in their heart region is being considered as a possible reboot or revival. 
But Veronica Mars is the only series that has the narrative depth and continued interest of fans to be able to pull off the revival twice. I mean, she's a detective. How hard is it to just go back to doing cases? But and she stuff? was a high school detective, right? The yes, first... her her dad was a detective. He was a shamed town sheriff. But all sorts of like politics and that stuff. Was, uh, that, what's his name? Uh, uh, Enrico Calantoni. Yeah. He was like the town sheriff who got railroaded out. And he became like a, a private eye and she like helped him out and she ended up doing it for her school and for friends and she would do uh, work for people. And uh, they had a dog, this big old Rottweiler dog. His name was Backup. So whenever she needed backup, the dog would show up. And also she had uh, a taser to protect herself. But what's funny is when you go back and watch that show, she had the t-mobile sidekick phone the uh-huh. little like texting phone so it's yeah. so funny when you see that it's like so dated now she flicks it open she's on the little keyboard so i had that <laughs> that's awesome people are wondering what veronica mars is doing now Kristen bell told sirius xm's ew radio radio when asked about the new series there's never been a lapse in the fan base. When I allude to anything Veronica Mars online, people lose their marbles. And it's so wonderful and cute to know that it means something to people still. It definitely means something to a lot of people. So we've gathered up everything fans might need or want to know about the latest Veronica Mars story below. Be sure to check it out often. Okay? It's coming in 2019. We don't know when, but... 2019 sleuth bell sleuth will return but at some point in those 12 months it will definitely for sure happen our best guess is probably summer the old gang is back together in addition to bell jason doring who plays i think i'm saying that right veronica's mars on again off again boyfriend logan eccles that's the one thing that drove me nuts about the show heather loved logan but they would break up and get back together over and over again where i'm like jesus it's getting on my nerves. Also, her best friend, Percy Daggs uh, third, who plays Wallace. Francis Capra will return as Weevil. And unfortunately, there's no word yet on Enrico Calantoni. He's got to be back. That doesn't make any sense. He's dead. Ditto for Tina Majorino's Mac. You know who that is? That's Deb from... Yep. Uh, you know what? You On websites at the bottom, they have those little boxes, the stupid things where it's like, you'll never believe what so-and-so looks like now, clickbait stories. Yeah. It is a picture of Tina Majorino from Waterworld, and it goes, you'll never guess what she looks like now. I'm like, she looks exactly like that, only older. Like yeah. She looks like Deb from... Yeah, from, from uh, Napoleon, Napoleon Dynamite. Dynamite. She was on freaking that show about the scorpion recently we saw her on and, but it's like i hate those clickbait ads yeah. on shit it's so annoying uh also um meanwhile ryan hansen who plays fan favorite dick casablancas also hasn't signed on yet but we're crossing our fingers that he returns especially since david starzik who plays dick's father richard is confirmed okay Here's what else they know. It's an eight-episode limited series. Limited series are all the rage now, especially since the word limited apparently has no meaning. This person has a lot of snark, by the way. You can call something a limited series, but then later change your mind, and then everyone else has to accept it. So will this be the last time we revisit Veronica Mars? Maybe. Who knows? Not us. Bell said she was up for playing Veronica as long as we feel there's a hunger for Veronica Mars. And the world still needs her to fight the good fight. Anyway, there's more stuff here, but it takes place five years after the movie. 
What was interesting about the movie is the way it ends is it gets her back to her hometown. She solves a murder and then she decides I'm staying and she puts her feet up on the desk and then cue the Veronica Mars theme by the dandy Warhols that a long time ago, come on now, sugar, bring it on, bring it on. You know, that's song. <laughs> that's like the theme that they do at the beginning of every Veronica, but they waited for the very end of the movie. So you're like, yeah, like she's back and then cut to now. So they can just ease into the show where she's there. She's being a detective. So uh, that's pretty cool. They gave you an easy end for a continuation. Yes. And what's cool is Rob Thomas, not the singer who created the guy who created Veronica Mars. He said he does I zombie now, by the way, and I right. zombies ending after this season, there were two books that he wrote, which got, come on. Why can't there be Chuck novels? He says that the books are Canon. They happened in the storyline and they may reference them in the show. And that's pretty freaking cool. So if you read the books, you can be like, Oh yeah, they just referenced the book I read and I'm a huge nerd and everyone made fun of me, but I read it. So you're you know? going to read it. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> no, <laughs> we have one of them. I got it for Heather. She never read it. Well, the funny thing is, I told her we need to get the audio book. Be- the audio novel was read by Kristen Bell. So it's she narrates Veronica Mars' episodes. So if you're listening to her tell the story, it's like listening to an episode of the show or something. Right? Yep. I have seen episodes. I haven't watched. I never. I didn't watch the whole series. So. There. They're all coming to Hulu. They're going to all three seasons and the movie will be on Hulu soon. This isn't a nostalgia fest. The Veronica Mars movie was made for fans, which means it was very nostalgic and featured a whole slew of familiar faces. All that was great. But according to Thomas, the new series is not any of that is returning to the show's roots a bit and will be what he calls hardcore soul cow. SoCal noir. In speaking with Entertainment Weekly, Bell echoed those sentiments but confirmed it wasn't going to be the same as the original series. It's going to be a darker world. It's going to be a bigger world. It's definitely not going to be what we did on UPN or the CW. So I wanted to brace fans for that. It's going to be darker and bigger and cinematic and definitely a bit different. All right, you got that, Stephen? It's different. Darker, bigger, cinematic. Gotcha. Here's the craziest thing. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is a writer on the show. This sounds like a joke, but it's not a joke. In addition to being one of the greatest basketball players of all time, he's also a prolific writer, and now he is on the writing staff of Veronica Mars' revival. He's also set to appear in the final season of iZombie. <laughs> I think that's awesome. That's pretty cool. I'm excited for a new Veronica Mars. More Veronica Mars. That's cool. Did you hear about Telltale Games? This, uh, You know, they do the Walking Dead game. They did a Batman game, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Wolf Among Us is actually the game I played by them, which is funny. It's like these kind of like point and click games, but it's more involved than that. But they have this kind of, they're very particular like story games where you make decisions and, uh, they release them in chapters, not the whole game. You can buy like chapter one and then you subscribe, you pay like, a season pass and you get them as they come out and you download it on your console or whatever. And their games are on every platform there. You can get them on, you know, PlayStation, Xbox. You can get them on your iPad, your phone, PC. They're all that. But recently they laid off everybody and they said, we're going out of business. And people are like, what the hell? There were uh, employees who said, uh, I was given no warning. 
I get, was given 30 minutes to get out of the building. We get no severance pay, nothing. And by the way, in the video game industry, they do something called crunch. That's where when the game's getting close to coming out, same like most recently Spider-Man, six months before the game comes out, like everyone works overtime. It's You don't get paid overtime though. Like you work seven days a week, you work 18 hours a day, something like that for the game. And then when the game comes out, if it gets 80% on Metacritic, we all get a bonus kind of a thing. But if it doesn't get a bonus, you're all kind of screwed. So basically you're all, everybody is committed to this game. And by the time the game comes out, people are completely burnt out, you know? And the thing is the way Telltale does these games where they do it by chapter, there's never any time for the burnout and kind of relax. They're like, okay, now we got to work on the next chapter of Batman or whatever. So they're working these people to the bone. And then one day they're like, everyone's fired. (laughs) And so a former employee says layoffs violated federal and state warn laws. A former Telltale employee is suing the company in a class action lawsuit, alleging that it violated labor laws on the books in California and nationwide when it laid off hundreds of employees on Friday in advance of a planned closure. The complaint filed Monday in federal court in San Francisco is a class action lawsuit submitted by Vernie Roberts on behalf of himself and his fellow laid off workers in the complaint. Roberts says Telltale, which is based in San Francisco, let go of employees without cause and without providing them with advance written notice as required by the WARN Act, the Federal Worker Adjustment and Retraining Notification Act, which became law in 1988, stipulates that most businesses with at least 100 full-time workers must notify 60 days in advance of any plan of closings and mass layoffs. The act defines as a mass layoff as a reduction of 50 or more employees with the 30 day. So if 50 or more and you let everybody go, that's I'm, I think they have a lawsuit here. Yep. Sounds like it. But what's funny is people were upset because they were doing the final season of the walking dead of this video game. And they were saying this will never finish now because everyone's laid off and people are like, Oh man, this sucks. It was such a great series. So the people who are still there, I don't know, like 2% of the employees wrapping shit up. They're like, well, if we could get some interest from other companies, we could actually finish this. So, hey, if you guys want it. And people on Twitter and stuff start saying, no, I'd rather you just pay your employees. You know, we don't care about your video game anymore. Why don't you pay your employees severance or something? I was just like, oh, okay. You know, but it's like when... I was thinking about it. Yeah, they were hoping to get bought out so that yeah, they, and they it's would like, make more money. You treated everybody like shit. We wanna we don't want to buy any more of your games. Like I was saying, isn't everything all their games tainted now? Like the way you treated yeah. your employees? Like I don't want to finish your game. And uh I just think that's pretty shitty. And I've they don't have a union in video games. Like nobody's protected and they, I, I foresee them doing something like that because this keeps happening where a big video game comes out. It doesn't do as well as they thought, hoped it would. And then the video game come the, uh, the, uh, the, what do they call it? The studio that made it closes and lays everybody off. And then they form a new studio or they go work somebody somewhere else or something. That shit's got to end. I just saw that was pretty shocking when Telltale just closed up shop like that. Really sucky. 
Now, I thought this was funny, Stephen. Halloween writer Danny McBride was too scared to meet Michael Myers on the set. (laughs) Eastbound and Down star Danny McBride has loved horror movies since he was a kid, which is one of the reasons director David Gordon Green tapped him to write the script for the new Halloween, which comes out October 19th. Stephen, will we be going to see that? Maybe. (laughs) So they wrote the movie with a third scribe, Jeff Fraidley. Always a horror fan, McBride tells EW. I think any kid that grew up in the 80s, that was his best section to walk through in a video store. Just like looking at all those movie cover boxes and trying to figure out which one you could convince your parents to let you rent that weekend. (laughs) But McBride freaked out when stuntman actor James Jude Courtney arrived on the set of Halloween for the first time dressed as Michael Myers. In fact, he was so unnerved by the presence of The Shape that he refused the opportunity to meet with Courtney. That day, they were testing the mask with James for the very first time, says McBride. They weren't even shooting with him. They had brought the mask onto set and were doing lighting tests inside the house. We creeped in early to see that. And there he was at the end of the hallway, just sort of lit from a little bit of light coming in from the bedroom, shining on the shape, standing at the end of this hallway, just looking at us. We were all like, that's incredible. I don't want to go back there. I know what happens when you go back there. (laughs) So that's the end of the story. Kind of silly. Now, Steven, there's a new trailer for the new X-Men movie. Gotcha. Dark Phoenix. (gasps) Now, I don't know if you remember this, but the last X-Men movie, Apocalypse, was what it's called? They had, they love to do these song. You know how you hear like a woman singing a song cover? Like, uh, it could be like, uh, uh, say like a Tears for Fear song. Welcome to your life. And then the shit's happening. I was like, I hope they don't do that again because it's so effing cheesy, you know? And they always do it in these X-Men. Let's see what they pick this time as the song cover. I actually laughed out loud. Let's check it out. You think you can fix me? Dream. You are not broken. This is the end. Beautiful. Say what? The mind is a fragile thing. <laughs> Takes only the slightest. And it walked down, down the Come on, trailer. What did you do? I had to keep her stable. I protected her. From the truth? There's another word for that. What's that? I came looking for answers. You feel like you don't belong here. You don't. They can't begin to comprehend what you are. She's changing. Why can't they just get along with each other? You didn't come here looking for answers. You came here looking for permission. Gene. The Phoenix story, the last Remember how bad that was? I'm really worried about this. Jean lost control. Is she still our friend? They did this before. They've already done the Phoenix saga, and it was terrible. on the brink. I'm sorry. I didn't stop it sooner. You're always sorry, Charles. And there's always a speech. And nobody cares. There's still hope. Don't do this. 
the right to fear me. I've seen evil. And I'm looking at it now. Oh my god. Dark Phoenix. So the movie's called Dark Phoenix, not X-Men Dark Phoenix, I guess. Dark Phoenix X. February 14th. All right. Cool stuff. All right, Stephen. Fox will bring a PG-13 cut of Deadpool 2 to theaters this Christmas. Why? Why? 20th Century Fox has made some sweeping alterations to its release schedule. According to Deadline, changing up the dates of some major X-Men tentpoles and bringing Deadpool 2 back to theaters. Ryan Reynolds also appears to have confirmed the new cut of Deadpool 2 with an Instagram post depicting him reading the story of it, complete with an illustration of Juggernaut ripping him in half to an adult Fred Savage, Prince's Bride style. The story has been edited through, though, well, with the change. So it's like he's telling them the story of Deadpool 2. Yeah. December 21st will no longer feature the release of James Cameron's long-awaited Alita Battle Angel. By the way, okay, James Cameron, he's producing it. Robert Rodriguez is directing, okay? Can we just call it his movie? That's the movie with his big CGI eyes. Remember that? Oh, okay. But rather, a re-release of this year's Deadpool 2, edited to meet the standards of a PG-13 rating. Alita will move two months to Valentine's Day to coincide with Chinese New Year. What? February 13 was the previous release date for Dark Phoenix, which just received its first trailer. That film will be bumped to June 7th. That, of course, bounces Fox's Gambit film starring Channing Tatum in the title role. Gambit has been in pre-production for four years, during which it has been attached to three different directors, all of whom left the production for scheduling reasons. Deadline reports that Gambit is now set for sometime March 2020. Just don't make it, okay? If the movie's that hard to get going, don't make it. So, Stephen, next week a certain movie called Venom comes out. Well, October 5th. Is that next week? I guess it is. Uh, And there's Venom, of course, is a Spider-Man villain. And Mm -hmm. Sony has made a movie just about Venom. Right. Starring Tom Hardy. Uh Uh-huh. And I saw there's, there's clips that you can watch now on YouTube of the movie where Venom is there in full force. They're not hiding anything. They're not waiting for the movie, which screams to me. They're desperate. Please say, check this out. Hey, I want to go, want to go see this. I made this about, uh, let's see. What was it? Uh, Like 12, yeah, 25 seconds before I laughed out loud. And you see why I laugh out loud. Okay. Ready? This is it. You do not want to do this. Trust me. Ah! What's with Tom Hardy's voice? I know he's all method. He's doing like a Brooklyn, New York kind of guy voice or something. All right, have it your own way. Mask! Copy. Okay, do you know why I laughed there? The Wilhelm scream. Did you catch that? (laughs) (laughs) Like, really? The Wilhelm scream? It just calls so much attention to itself. (laughs) 
So the movie's a big CGI fest. Yeah. Uh, I just can't. This isn't going to be good. Why is Sony doing this? I don't understand. It's like making a Joker movie without Batman. Oh, wait. They're doing that, too. Do you see the Joaquin Phoenix stuff? Yeah. They're making a Joker movie, Steven. Why are they doing this? I don't understand. I, don't, I really don't. It doesn't make any sense to me. We'll see what happens, but I think it's all going to suck. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, Stephen, <laughs> it just it called so much attention the, the to it. The Wilhelm scream. <laughs> it just, what? It's out of nowhere. It doesn't go with what's going on, does it? No. It calls too much attention to itself. It's hilarious. <laughs> Now, Stephen, what do you say we get into uh, Rotten Tomatoes? Certainly. Sir. Let's read some Rotten Tomatoes. Tomatoes. Do you call them tomatoes or tomatoes? Tomatoes. Uh, I call them tomatoes. Let's call the whole thing off. You say neither. <laughs> I say either. You say neither. And I say neither. Either. Either. And either. Neither. Let's call the whole thing off. You like potato, and I like potato. You like tomato, I like tomato. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. Smell like stale tomato juice. Yes, indeedy. It does smell like stale tomato juice. Now, this week, Night School has come out in theaters. That's right, Stephen. This is... Star Kevin Hart and producer Will Packer, who partnered for the hit Ride Along and Think Like a Man series, both quality stuff, bring their signature style to night school. The comedy from director Malcolm D. Lee of Girls Trip follows a group of misfits who are forced to attend adult classes in the long shot chance they'll pass the GED exam. Starring Kevin Hart, Taryn Killam, Tiffany Haddish, Romani Malco, Rob Riggle, and Mary Lynn Rice Cub. I've mentioned Taryn Killam and Romani Malco earlier in this episode. Mm -hmm. Rewind the show and go back and listen where I mentioned them. Okay, so currently this is 29% rotten, 89 reviews counted, 26 fresh, 63 rotten. But we all know this doesn't mean anything. Go see the movie, form your own opinion, right? Audience score, 53% liked it. Average rating, 3.1 out of 5. User rating, 457. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Let's see what Mick LaSalle of San Francisco Chronicle says. There are just enough laughs to make night school worth it. If you're in the mood, even when it's not hilarious, there's a comic spirit that's active and never flags from scene to scene. Three out of four. All right. Seems pretty solid. Emily Yoshida of New York Magazine says... There's a lot of sophomoric silliness night school feels obligated to perform, but there's a heap of good intentions behind it and enough big laughs to make us want to forgive it in the end. All right. She didn't rate it. Matt Zoller cites of RogerEbert.com says it's to the credit of Lee and his collaborators that night school pitches a comedic tent big enough to contain something silly for everyone. I give it a 2.5 out of four. That's fresh in my book. I guess that counts, right? Brian Lowry of CNN.com says it forced to choose skip night school, a remedial level comedy with Kevin Hart and Tiffany Haddish. 
if forced to choose, I totally screwed that up. Let's just move along, shall we? Sarah Ty Black of Globe and Mail says, Haddish is given little to work with, a fact that is almost criminal considering how her rising star power over the past year is almost entirely indebted to her charisma and disarming slapstick style. I give it a two out of four. Rotten. Not rotten. <laughs> Adam Graham of Detroit News says Hart and Haddish are both wildly gifted comedians, but Night School, it doesn't allow them to riff. I give it a C minus, and that's rotten. I don't know what these people do. <laughs> Mark Ellis of Schmoes No says a worthy comedy, not the funniest movie of the year, but something you can enjoy going to see. Wow, I'm very neutral. 3.4 out of 5. Don't you love that? Not the funniest movie of the year, but it'll make you laugh. Christian Harloff of Schmoes No. Wait a second. Two of these Schmoes are both reviewing the same movie? How's that fair? It's worth going to see. They don't really know how to end it. I got some laughs out of the movie, and I thought the supporting cast was great. Three out of five. Wow, so well-worded a review there. Pete Hammond of Deadline Hollywood Daily says, Kevin Hart and Tiffany Haddish fail to get the laughs in this over-the-top comedy that makes Roadrunner look subtle by comparison. (laughs) 1.5 out of 5. Jesse Hasinger of The Week says, It has all the harm, harm... It has all of the hallmarks of Hart's films, a convoluted story that goes out of its way to paint Hart as an insecure but hardworking go-getter, bad CGI augmented slapstick, pointless but plot-required deception, and unearned swells of sentimentality. Wilson Morales of BlackFilm.com says, The script is a disservice to the audience that comes out hoping to laugh out loud with six credited screenwriters, including Hart, director Malcolm D. Lee, may have been asking themselves, who's on first? Two out of five. Rotten. Okay, one more. Frank Switek of One Guy's Opinion. This is just One Guy's Opinion, Stephen. Mm-hmm. As flat and generic as its title, a limp comedy that comes off like a cruelly extended episode of a bla- bad classroom-based network sitcom, I give it a D-. Look at this guy. He's giving it a letter grade. How about that? Should any of these people be allowed in Rotten Tomatoes, Stephen, if they're no. not going to grade it correctly? Nope. Bastards. Now, there was another movie. This is something I would have taken Emma to when she was younger, uh-huh. but now she's a uh, cynical teenager, and she's like, Pfft. We'll see that. Cynical member of generation whatever. <laughs> what generation are they now? I don't know. Neither do what I. Are they, they haven't, have they come up with a name for it yet? <laughs> I don't think so. Did I ever... Uh, <laughs> I don't think I ever came up with a drop for that. <laughs> Even cynical members of Generation X. Do you remember that? Yep. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, Littlefoot. An animated venture for Little all foot? ages. Or what, what? what is it called? Smallfoot. Smallfoot. Okay, Littlefoot's a bit. <laughs> Littlefoot is the dinosaur from... Uh... Yes. <laughs> I totally blanked on what it's called. Land Before Time. Yeah. It's a total system shutdown. <laughs> Emergency. All right, Steven. Smallfoot... An animated adventure for all ages with original music and an all-star... Why do we care about the music? An all-star cast. Smallfoot turns the Bigfoot legend upside down. Hey, could we want any more? Anything else? 
when a bright young Yeti finds something he thought didn't exist. A human! News of the Smallfoot throws the simple Yeti community into an uproar over what else might be out there in the big world beyond their snowy village. And an all-new story... Wait, an all-new story? Why would they need to tell us that? It's a movie. And an all-new story... Like, it's not based on something. Is that what they mean? Yeah. An all-new story about friendship, courage, and the joy of discovery. Rated PG for some action, rude humor, fart jokes, mm-hmm. and thematic elements. Starring Channing Tatum, Common, James Corden. Oh, come on. They just lo- out. Out. <laughs> LeBron James, Zendaya, and Danny DeVito. All right. So let's check this out. Currently, this is 70% fresh. 46%. 46 people think it's snazzy. 20 people think it sucks. Audience score, 86%. All right. Leah Greenblatt of Entertainment Weekly says, Beneath the easy slapstick, there's a timely moral too. Don't fear the unknown. Embrace it. Just try not to squish it. I give it a B. Must be all inside jokes if you've seen the movie. Yeah. Adam Graham says, Smallfoot satisfyingly operates on multiple levels. It is much deeper than it appears to be. I give it a B plus, and I'm better for it. Oh, okay. Oliver Jones of The Observer says, Hollywood animation, your rut is showing. One out of four. Pfft. I'm going to go smoke a cigarette with cloves. Oh, wow. Okay. Brian Lowry of CNN.com says, Smallfoot has its heart in the right place, and it mostly works, managing to convey a pretty thoughtful lesson about tolerance, division, and learning to see from the perspective of others with the loud, colorful, computer-rendering trappings of the genre. I give it a 10 out of 15. All right. Jane Horowitz. 15. I, it's, it's fresh. Washington Post's uh, Jane Horowitz says, This entertaining fantasy has intellectual ballast, but it's cleverly disguised. I give it a three out of four, and we'll meet with you, have coffee, and talk about it. Oh, wow. Okay. We need to text her later. Starbucks. Ben Kenigsberg of the New York Times says, The movie, directed by Carrie Kirkpatrick, has just enough wit, has just enough visual invention, has just enough laughs, has just enough smiles. To get by, I give it a 15 out of 12. Fresh. Huh. 15 out of 12? Yeah. So it's you, get, you get more than... <laughs> I don't understand either. <laughs> Christian Harloff of Schmoes No, Stephen. Uh, Who are these Schmoes? A clever little thing. Take your kids for sure, especially about the messages about Jesus. 3.25 out of 5. Interesting. I made up that last part. Megan Basham of World. Oh, she represents the whole planet in their opinion of the movie. Let's just say I was glad my nine-year-old wasn't able to attend the movie with me. And my four-year-old was so bored by the heavy-handed messaging that she spent most of the movie whining for more candy, which I gave her because I spoil her rotten and I'm a horrible person. Oh, my God. I think Megan needs help there. Brandy McDonald of the Oklahoman says, It might be a small foot, but a movie that values critical thinking is a big step in the right direction. Don't bully people. Oh, wow. Okay. Xenia Baria of the Times of India says, 
With catchy songs and fun moments, the film is enjoyable, although the length does get a little too tedious towards the end, and I would have liked more messages about reading. Mm. Hmm. Chris Knight of National Post. Am I saying that correctly? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. I wouldn't go so far as to call the results abominable. (laughs) Do you know what that sounded, Stephen? Yeah, you're patting yourself on the back. (laughs) But I'll admit to checking my watch during the film's 96 minutes, wondering, are we there yeti? This guy should be fired immediately. Yes. He should be fired. Martin Thomas of Double Toasted says... Most of the songs in it feel like standard Disney songs, but Common Song, it could have been taken out of Hamilton. That shit is brilliant. Yo. Oh, okay. I'm not sure if he's being offensive there or not. Mark of Mark Reviews Movies. Oh, makes sense. Smallfoot doesn't evade the complexities and gloom of its eventual revelations and the juxtapositions of societal norms. It offers some wisdom and hope about seemingly irreconcilable conflicts between people and yetis. Three out of four, best movie of the year. Wow. I like the way that comes That's the best review, Yeti. I'm fired. Am I fired yet? <laughs> All right, Stephen. Josh Bell of the In- Inlander says, has a slick, anonymous style that seems designed to smooth out anything potentially distinctive or memorable. I give it a 1.5 out of 4. I hated this movie, and I will shoot you if you go see it. Oh, my God. Can we press charges against this guy? Too. He just threatened us. I think only if you're in Spokane, Washington. Frank Lovis of Film Journal International says, This hilarious animated feature distinguishes itself with a powerful theme about questioning orthodoxy. All right. Pete Hartlob of San Francisco Chronicle says, It's a chore to get through the beginning, but builds a strong story and leaves legitimate good feelings on the way out of the theater. I drove home smiling. Three out of four. Oh, Wow. I want to go to a movie where I'm driving home just like, man, I can't get rid of the smile on my face. This is awesome. I gave five high fives coming out of the movie. Hell yes. Hell yes. What is Hellfest, Steven? Hellfest. Hellfest. Sounds scary. <laughs> a mass serial killer turns a horror-themed amusement park into his own personal playground. <laughs> terrorizing a group of friends with the rest of the patrons believe that it's all part of the show. College student Natalie is visiting her childhood best friend, Brooke, and her roommate, Taylor. It's because it's all in capitals. I'm reading like that. If it was any other time of the year, these three and their boyfriends might be heading to a concert or bar. But it's Halloween, so might as well go to the Psycho Hellfest. A sprawling labyrinth of rides and games and mazes that travel the country and happens to be in town. Every year, thousands follow Hellfest to experience fear at the ghoulish carnival of nightmares. But for one visitor, Hellfest is not the attraction. 
It's a hunting ground. <laughs> An opportunity to slay in plain view of a gawking audience. Too caught up in the terrifying fun atmosphere to recognize the horrific reality playing out before their eyes. As the body count and frenzied excitement of the crowds continues to rise, he turns his masked face to Natalie, Brooke, and Taylor and their boyfriends who will fight to survive the night. I bet all the boyfriends get it. What do you think, Steven? Yep. It is rated R for horror violence, including some sexual references. Yes. Directed by Gregory Plotkin. All right. Written by Gregory Storykin. It is 35% rotten. Six fresh, 11 rotten. Not many people have reviewed it. The audience score is 73% liked it. Let's read some ghoulish reviews, Stephen. <laughs> Did you get a little scared as I was reading the synopsis? Mm-hmm. I thought so. Michael Nordine of IndieWire says, If it were any good, it could have been a movie of the moment. Instead, it'll have been forgotten by Halloween. Pfft, D plus. Keith Ulick of Hollywood Reporter says, You've seen it all before and better. A blade to the chest, an axe to the leg, a syringe to the eye. Ooh, so scary. Oh, wow. William Bibiani of The Rap says, Captures all of the fun and excitement of wandering aimlessly through an amusement park with boring people you don't like. It's like going to an amusement park with me. Oh, wow. At least he, he's a little self-deprecating there. Nick Allen of RogerEbert.com says, A pretty bad movie that makes a great case for more slashing at horror theme parks. 1.5 out of 4. <laughs> Noel Murray of Los Angeles Times says, The premise allows for some spectacularly spooky sets. Though the director Gregory Plotkin and a team of screenwriters fail to use them for anything all that scary. Dennis Harvey of Variety says, A competently crafted slasher film rendered instantly forgettable by its disinterest in character, plot, and motivation, let alone original ideas. Wow. But Blake Crane of BlakeCrane.com says, it's a fun, well-paced slasher. 3.5 out of 5. Sh- should we trust this Blake Crane guy? No. Jordy Costa says, Gregory Plotkin rescues the spirit of the House of Horrors with this Hellfest that proposes the last word in scares of barracks. Full review in Spanish. Something was lost in the translation there because I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Stacy Lane Wilson of Daily Dead says Hellfest is a solid workmanlike horror flick. I give it a three out of five. Can we trust Stacy? Yeah, we uh, trust her. Perry Nemiroff of PerryNemiroff.com says, "If you've got a friend who isn't into horror movies, this isn't the one that'll change his or her mind. But for someone who likes seeing people die." You'll love it. Seven out of ten. <laughs> okay, Perry needs help. This is a scream for help. Brian Orndorf of Blu-ray.com, Stephen, he says, tries to get in some weirdness and ambiguity to fuel sequels, but all efforts should have been put into the movie, which doesn't have scale or scares to enchant during the competitive Halloween season. I'll give it a D-plus, and I'll never see this movie again. Pfft, I'm going to go see the new Halloween movie. Hope Madden of Columbus Underground says, In keeping with the not-so-fresh theme, this film is a straight-up, unapologetic slasher. I give it a two. A two out of what? Oh, she left. Okay. Two out of two. Well, Stephen, 
that movie does not look good. Also, The Nun. Did you see that creepy movie, 27% Rotten? Let's read one review of this by someone that I recognize the name. Come on, Brian Orndorff. Donald Clark of Irish Times says, Alas, The Nun is more chaotic than most of the many, many films set in the Conjuring universe. To compare it to a ghost train would be to understate the narrative cohesion that habitually governs those seaside entertainments. Two out of five. I don't understand a word this dude just said. Do you? He's Irish. The luck of the Irish. Stephen, do I do a good Irish accent? Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. God, I wish we had some Venom reviews, but we don't yet. Damn it. Venom? It sure is, especially this one part. <laughs> it's got the Wilhelm scream. All right, Stephen, that's it for what's we what's weeding rotten tomatoes. What? <laughs> that's it for rotten tomatoes. See you on the flip side. Thank you. Good night. Here all week, try the veal and sing. I want to play this on the banjo one day, Stephen. Think it's hard? Yes. <laughs> Very hard. Alright everyone, that was our show. <laughs> Steven, let's do like we're coming back from a commercial break. We're we're just having the best time. And we're back. <laughs> oh man, wasn't that great, Steven? Okay, yes. this is uh ETL so episode fifty-nine. And I just gotta say this, people. We've been doing this for thirteen years. There hasn't been a better show than tonight that we just did. Am I right, Steven? 13 years. Yeah, 13 years of this, man. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. If you would, visit etlandfill.com. There you can get all of your Stephen needs. That's right. Check on our show archive, and you can listen to past shows where Stephen talks about helicopter crashing, right? Yes. That's actually the first episode. You don't have to go far for that. But uh, we have some great times on the show. 13 years ago, the helicopter crashed. (laughs) That's right. Most recently, yeah, I hope they are too. Most recently, Stephen, I listened to the show where I was talking about Da Vinci's Demons, a show on stars, Uh where it took place in Florence, but it was a CGI Florence. Like a CGI Florence Henderson, and I lost my shit, and I laughed for like five minutes straight uncontrollably, and I was crying. Do you remember that? I was listening back to that, and I was like, I was crying. People should go back and listen to that episode. I think it was like episode one. Oh, wait. I have it on my phone right here. CGI Florence Henderson. Just so you guys, I want, here's some homework, you guys. You guys go back and listen to episode 272 weapons grade of entertainment of nowhere in mulberry no it was entertainment landfill back then okay april 30th 2013 is when that show came out guys go and listen to that and wait for the cgi florence henderson because that was pretty hilarious uh (laughs) by the way i finished spider-man i finished the game i loved it it was fantastic uh, I want more, though. I want to keep playing that. I want to play all games of Spider-Man. The next video game I'm going to play, I'm going to be said there's no web-slinging. I want to spin webs. go back and replay it and find everything. Yes, that's what I'm trying to do now. They ha- You can get a platinum where you 100% the game. And I was looking at things you had to do. I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go and 
lift 20 guys in the air and, you know, all sorts of weird combos and stuff. You lift 20 guys in the air in five minutes or, or, or two minutes, whatever it is. Yeah, there's stuff. Visit all these locations and stuff. But I will say this. Um, there's new DLC coming out in October about the Black Cat, like a new story. Uh-huh. The, you know, it's shorter than the main game story, but it'll be more content. And then November, there's another story. So they're actually keeping, they're doing new chapters, which is really fun. Nice. And I'm excited about that. So that's definitely worth it. Um, Steven, will we be going to see Venom next week? I'm going to say no. Oh, yeah, we're going to, I'm going to take Heather to go see the new Star is Born movie. It's 95% fresh, by the way. Uh, starring uh, Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, whose real name is what? Stephanie something. something rather. Uh, it just it just lists her as Lady Gaga, uh, but it's ninety seven percent fresh, and Bradley Cooper directed it. Interesting. Yes, the guy from Alias. So, guys. Uh, I'm excited. Oh, and by the way, I've got to say something. Tomorrow is Heather's birthday. Woo-hoo. Happy birthday, Heather. It's time for the birthday song. And you know who sings that, don't you, Heather? That's right. Simon Pegg. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. But that's not enough. We need Whoopi to sing happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. But we also need Mr. Miyagi to sing it. Happy birthday to you. Another song. Happy birthday to Happy birthday, dear Daniel. Happy birthday to Happy birthday, Heather. I love you. Happy early birthday. It's going to be a good one. Well, guys, everybody wish Heather a happy birthday. And what are you waiting for? Get out there. Get ready for Venom and the Wilhelm scream. And we'll see you next time. Right, Steven? We will. Woo! Boom goes the dynamite. All right. I mean, seriously, why would you make a Venom movie without Spider-Man? That's like making a movie about the Meg with no shark. It's like making a Three Amigos movie without any Amigos, and it stars El Guapo. Stupid. Now this is podcasting.